We are continuing to unpack God's truth for our lives through our study of Galatians. Paul's focus in his writing in chapters 1 through 4 is doctrine. This is what we believe. Paul's focus in his writing in chapters 5 and 6 is duty. This is how we behave. Our beliefs determine our behavior. Our convictions determine our conduct. God wants us to live what we learn from his word. And we have the help from God to live what we learn from his word as we turn to him and trust in him, which is exactly what we're going to continue to do uh, in these moments together this morning. Last Sunday, Paul welcomed us into chapter 5 and verse 1, and he said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus has set us free from sin, Satan, death, and the law. We are right with God. We are uh, children of God. We have been forgiven by God, by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Since we are free in Jesus, Paul gave us the first command in this verse, and that is we're to stand firm in our faith in Jesus. Since we're free in Jesus, we can stand firm in our faith in Jesus. That's the positive command. The negative command was Paul said, don't again submit to a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery, Paul referred to, was the false teachers and their false teaching that a relationship with God was by faith in Jesus plus works. This false teaching was a yoke that enslaved these believers to try to get to God by their works for God, which is impossible because of their sin against God. We can't get to God by being good and by doing good works. And trying to get to God by our works for God, this false teaching leads to legalism. Legalism is the belief that we can earn God's acceptance and approval by rigidly following a spiritual list of do's and don'ts and by demanding others follow that same spiritual list of do's and don'ts. Legalism, as Paul has been teaching us, leads people away from Jesus instead of to Jesus. Paul set us straight as he welcomed us into chapter 5, and he said, For freedom, Christ has set us free. We are free in Jesus. Amen? And when the sun sets us free, we are free indeed. And so Paul has been teaching us, and he's going to continue to teach us as we continue through chapter 5 and into chapter 6. Since we're free in Jesus, we're to embrace God's grace in Jesus. We're to extend God's grace to one another, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we're to explain God's grace to those around us who don't yet know Jesus so that they can come to this freedom that we have experienced by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. So after verse 1, Paul then shared as we studied last week some reasons. He gave us some reasons why these believers should not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Reasons why we should not try 
to think that we can get to God by our works for God. Reasons to, to resist that legalistic mindset of thinking we're loved by God and we're better for God and God loves us more and can use us more because of all these do's and don'ts that we're fulfilling because that means we're more approved by God. Being able to resist those legalistic thoughts so that we can walk in the freedom that is ours and the grace of Christ Jesus. And then in verse 6, he shared with us, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Paul said, For in Christ Jesus, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, what matters most to God is faith working itself through love. And Here's where Paul started to make the shift in chapter 5. We'll continue moving in that direction this morning. He was sharing with these believers and with us, reminding us today, it's a great teaching point, our faith in God should express itself through our lives, and it should be seen through our lives in our love for God and our love for one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and in our love for all those God places around us. Our faith in God should be evidenced and seen through love. What matters most to God is this faith that he has placed in us, in Christ Jesus, working itself through our lives. And then that work being expressed, first and foremost, by love. We know that we are able to love because God first loved us. We know that we can love by the power of God's Holy Spirit in us. In just a few weeks, we're going to get to the passage and we're going to read, as Paul is going to share with us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so he's going to continue this theme of love. And so he's making this shift. He's making this course change. He's helping us now, as well as these believers, clearly, but he's helping us now understand it's, he's moving in a new direction now where he's going to talk about our behavior. He's going to talk about our love for God. He's going to talk about our faith in God being expressed by our love for God and for one another. He's going to help us to understand and see in some very specific, clear ways what it means to stand firm in our faith in Jesus. As we stand firm in our faith in Jesus, because we're free in Jesus, we're able to live for Jesus by the power of Jesus at work in us. And as we move into verse 6 and beyond, he's going to share some of these truths with us this morning. It's going to be a fantastic time studying God's Word together. Back in May, May 6th of 1954, Roger Bannister became the first person to run the mile in under four minutes. He broke the four-minute barrier for the mile. Within a couple of months, John Landy, another marathon runner, another miler, he beat Bannister's time by 1.4 seconds within a couple of months. So later that year, 1954, August 7th of 1954, Landy and Bannister, along with a few others, met in a historic race. It's called the Miracle Mile. And they were going to find out once and for all who's the fastest miler in the world. The race got underway. And as they came around the final lap, and as they came around the final turn to make that backstretch sprint to the finish line, John Landy was in first place. It looked 
as if he was going to win the race, that he would be the world's fastest miler. Landy, however, on that last turn in that last sprint down the backstretch, was haunted by one thought. He was haunted by this thought, and the thought was simple. Where is Bannister? Where's Bannister? And so as he was making that final sprint, he turned and looked over his left shoulder to try to find out where Bannister was so that he could know where he was and he could finish off the race. And as soon as he turned over his left shoulder, Bannister sprinted past him on his right and finished the race, won the race first place. Later on, Landy was being interviewed by a Time Magazine reporter, and he said this, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won the race. If I hadn't looked back, I would have won the race. The Apostle Paul loved to use athletic metaphors in his writings. We see this in his writings in the New Testament. At different points in times in his writings and his letters, he compared the Christian life to fighting, boxing, wrestling, and running. Sports played a large role in life and culture in Paul's day. Therefore, the believers in these churches who read his words understood his words. They understood these metaphors. Obviously, sports plays a large role in life and culture today. And so Paul's use of these metaphors, these athletic metaphors, makes sense to us as well. He's going to share one with us in verse 7. If you look with me in verse 7, Paul writes these words, You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? So he begins, he says, you were running well. Paul compared the Christian life to a race. The Christian life was much more like a marathon than a sprint. And Paul said, you were running well at first. You were running well initially. What he meant there was they had heard, believed in, and received the message of the gospel by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. They were growing in their faith in Jesus. They were living out their faith in Jesus. Their faith in God was being expressed through their love for God and those around them. They were running well in the race of the Christian life. Things were going great for these believers that he is writing to. But then he continued and he said, who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? What that means is he's saying this, who got in your way? Who cut in on you? Spiritually, Who got in your way spiritually? Who cut you off from obeying the truth? Who cut you off from running well? Who got in your way spiritually? The answer is obvious, and it's Satan. Satan used the false teachers and their false teaching to get in the way of these believers spiritually. 
The false teachers hindered these believers from growing in Jesus. The false teachers hindered these believers from living for Jesus. The false teachers actually were in the process of leading these believers away from Jesus. The false teachers kept those unbelievers in their congregation from coming to faith in Jesus by their false teaching. The false teachers were used by Satan to get in their way spiritually, to cut them off, to prevent them from continuing to live out the truth of God in their day-to-day lives. This is a great reminder for us today. It's a challenge for you and me today. This kind of hits home because the truth of the matter is many Christ followers start off the Christian life running well. Many, if not most, Christ followers begin the Christian life running well. They're excited about their new faith in Jesus. They're excited about the forgiveness of their sins that Jesus brought on the cross of Calvary. They're excited about their eternal life with God. They're excited about their freedom in Jesus. They're excited about the power of Jesus working in them. They're giving themselves to Jesus, growing in Jesus, going for Jesus. They're spending time in God's word, in prayer, in service. They're serving others, in worship. They're spending time in fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're giving encouragement. They're receiving encouragement. They're running well. Things are going great. Spiritually, they are running the Christian life and they are on fire and they are running well and then they get cut off. They get cut off. In general, there's a couple of ways that we get cut off from running the race of the Christian life well. Christ followers can get cut off from running well For a couple of reasons. Number one, they get cut off by themselves. Christ's follower makes the mistake at a certain period of time. They're running well, and then they begin to make the mistake of thinking they can live the Christian life in their strength instead of God's strength. And they start running on their strength and their wisdom. And they get fatigued and they get frustrated. And what happens then is they begin to pull back on their time in God's word, on their time in prayer. They begin to allow other things to crowd into their schedules, and so they begin to pull back in their service to the Lord. No, 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 we don't have time to do that. They begin to pull back in their worship of the Lord. And what happens is as they pull back from their time with God and their worship of God, they begin to pull away from from God's people. And they become less and less connected and committed to God's people. And whereas they were once running well, they were in shape spiritually, they get out of shape. They pull away from God, they get out of shape spiritually. They're relying on their strength. They're not seeking the Lord on a day-by-day basis. They're relying on their strength. They get out of shape spiritually. And what happens over a period of time? They start giving in to temptation to sin. And some of those old habits and those old ways creep back in. And because of the decisions and choices they make, they stop running well. They're no longer running well, like Paul was sharing with these believers. A second way is people get cut off by someone else. Christ followers oftentimes will get cut off in the race Someone will present them, prevent them. They'll, they'll get cut off 
another person will get in the way, get in their way spiritually. A lot of times, believe it or not, this other person is a brother or sister in Christ. A lot of times it's a brother or sister in Christ who says something or does something to another brother or sister in Christ that hurts them. And that believer stops running well because that other believer has hurt them by what they've said or done. And they get upset at that other believer. And then they extrapolate it out and they get upset at the church. And they just say, I'm, I'm out. Because that's all the church is about. Because one believer walking in the flesh and not the spirit said something or did something and they're now going to allow themselves to be cut off because of another believer who may or may not know what they said or did. At times, it's another believer who's walking in the flesh, not the spirit. Maybe they're a complainer. Maybe they're a gossip. Maybe they're somebody who's easily angered. And they're spending time. They get around this person. They spend time with this person. And they, they start to, to either become like this person or, or, or they get so repelled by that person that they, they get cut off spiritually. It could be a fact that they, they are around those who don't have a relationship with the Lord. They're living in opposition to the Lord. They're spending time with their friend group that they don't know Jesus. They're not living for Jesus. And so they make all kinds of doubting questions and ask questions and ridicule this faith in Christ. And a believer begins listening to all this. And, and they begin to be cut off spiritually. Maybe it's a false teacher. They're listening to someone who's not teaching the truth of God's word. Man, they get cut off spiritually. Scripture talks about this. Solomon said, he who walks with the wise goes rise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Paul said, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. See, what happens ultimately is they get cut off spiritually. They stop running well. That's what these believers were doing. They were running well, and then these false teachers got in their way. And they stopped running well. Like these believers, we need to make sure that we're sober-minded, we're alert. Our heads are up, our eyes are open spiritually. Our minds are ready for action. Listen, a great question for each one of us to ask ourselves on a regular basis is simply this question, am I running well? Am I running well? Because you see, that's only a question you truly are equipped and able to answer. I can't answer that question for you. I mean, I can see certain things. You can see certain things with me, and you can make assumptions. Well, they must be running well because of this or that. But really, the truth is, only you can answer that question because only you and the Lord know your heart. It's a great question to ask. Am I running well? And if your answer is no, then that next question needs to be why. What's up? That's exactly what Paul was saying here. He says to these believers, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding truth? Verse 8, this persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. Get this now. You're going to love this. He said this persuasion. Persuasion means influencing. It means convincing. Here's literally what was happening. Evidently, these believers told Paul that God was the one who told them that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Can you believe that? They were literally telling Paul that God was the one who told them that it's necessary to do works to complete our salvation. And Paul here said, whoa, 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 this persuasion, this 
convincing, this influence that has cut you off spiritually, this thought that works such as circumcision is necessary for salvation isn't from God or any godly preachers or teachers of the word. No, 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 no. Paul's saying, listen, God called you by his grace to your faith in Christ Jesus, according to the message of the gospel. He said, Paul, Paul said, I'm an apostle of God, and I share God's message with you. Paul said, no, 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 let's get this straight. You aren't running well anymore. You've been cut off spiritually because of the false teachers. He says, the false teachers who have cut you off. He's shared this with us already in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. If you want to turn to your left real quick, you remember this. He shared this at the very beginning of his writing to these believers. In chapter 1, verse 6, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul said, listen. The false teachers are the one who is influencing you and persuading you that works are necessary for salvation. The false teachers are the one who is troubling you and agitating you and disturbing you. The false teachers are the ones who, is, who are distorting the truth of the gospel. The false teachers are the ones who have cut in on you spiritually. The false teachers are the ones that have cut you off from obeying the truth, that have cut you off from running well. It's not God. In other words, Paul said, don't blame God for your disobedience. Don't blame God for what's going on. It's a great reminder for us, again today, to realize that God doesn't contradict his word. God never contradicts his word. And what I mean by that point is this. If a believer ever says to you, God told me this. And the this that they share isn't in line with the word of God, then you can be sure that it wasn't God who told them the this. It wasn't God. Because God will never ask us to do anything that is in direct contradiction to his word. Paul was saying, are you kidding me? You're going to sit here and try to tell me that God is telling you that you got to work your way to salvation after all that we've been through, after all that I've written? I'm sure he was thinking, the first four chapters, hello. Not a chance. It's by grace. And so we see how important it is for us to run well. And when we're not running well, to make sure that the reason we're not running well is that we're not blaming God or the church. One of the greatest scapegoats today for followers of Jesus Christ is the church. Well, I'm not doing it because of the church. Well, if the church did this, if the church did that, the church is supposed to do this. The church is supposed to do that. When in reality, we go back to this word, no, no, no. You are supposed to do that. I'm supposed to do that. Church comes along. We, the body of Christ, come along. We help and encourage and inspire and teach and share and love one another. But the church isn't responsible for me running well. I'm responsible for me running well. 
And so we see that's what Paul is saying here. Look, he continues. I love what he says here in verse 9. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. So for those non-sports fans, he goes for some baking fans. He's just going to spread it out here. No pun intended. He uses the illustration of leaven in bread to make his point now. Bible scholars tell us in ancient times, before bread was baked, the baker would take a piece, a pinch of that leaven of that yeast off the loaf, and it would be set aside and allowed to ferment. And then it would be taken after the fermentation process had happened, and it would be kneaded into the next fresh dough, the next batch of fresh dough to help make the bread rise. Leaven is used in Scripture as an analogy to talk about how something small can have influence on and spread throughout something much larger. That's what he's talking about here. In the Scriptures, leaven is actually used oftentimes much more negatively than positively. The positive use of leaven in the Gospels is, leaven is used in the Gospels to talk about, in a positive sense, the persistent continual expansion of the kingdom of God. It started there in Jerusalem at Pentecost, the book of Acts, and it's continuing to spread like leaven throughout the world. The continuing expansion of the kingdom of God. Most often, though, leaven is used in the scriptures in a negative sense. It's most often used negatively. And it's most often used negatively to describe the corrupting spread of sin, of how sin just spreads and corrupts believers, corrupts churches. And so we see Paul challenge these believers here, and here was his challenge. His challenge was this, a small piece of false teaching, such as circumcision is necessary for salvation for the Gentile believers, will spread and create great damage to believers and to churches. His point was this, there is no such thing as a little heresy. There's no such thing as a little heresy. Heresy in one area will spread, it will spread, contaminate, contaminate and corrupt all the other areas of a believer's life, of church. That, that heresy will, will spread. This is one of the reasons why Paul said to the believers in the church in Ephesus, don't give Satan what? A foothold. Don't give Satan a foothold. What was he saying? Don't give Satan, you know, you got a door and the door's closed and you just put your, your toe in that doorway so that the door doesn't completely close. All Satan wants, it's an illustration, all Satan wants is just a little, little crack in our minds. He just wants a foothold. He just wants a small space in our minds. He wants just one area that we're willing to give to him, to listen to him. Because what will happen is over time what he does is he kicks that door open and he comes in. And that foothold becomes a stronghold of sin that creates damage to our lives, our walk with Christ, our worship of Christ, our witness for Christ. He just wants a foothold. 
And so what Paul was sharing with these believers is, listen, you, you guys, don't, don't yield on this one little area because you may think it's small and insignificant. You may think it's faith in Jesus plus work circumstances. But he said, listen, a little heresy, there's no such thing as a little heresy. Heresy is going to spread through and corrupt and damage you guys and your churches. He said, don't give, don't give Satan a foothold. He'll make it into a stronghold. He continues in verse 10, and he said, I myself am persuaded in the Lord that you will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. So now he shifts, and he becomes a little bit more encouraging. And he says here in verse 10, I myself am persuaded in the Lord. Say, in the Lord. Again, Paul was persuaded. That means he was convinced in the Lord, not in these believers. He said, I am persuaded myself in the Lord, you will not accept any other view. He was persuaded, he was convinced in the Lord that God would lead these believers away from the false teachers and their false teaching in time back to his truth. You see, Paul's already told us in our previous weeks, he believed most of these believers in these churches were sincere, genuine followers of Jesus Christ. He believed that they were his brothers and sisters in Christ. He knew that the Holy Spirit of God lived in him. He knew that the Holy Spirit of God was at work in them, and he believed in the Lord. His faith was in the Lord. Paul knew that the Lord would lead these believers ultimately back to him. Paul also knew that since God called him to preach and teach and share and love these believers, Paul believed that his encouragement and his instruction to these believers would be used by God in God's work of drawing these believers back to him. Back to his truth, God's truth, back to the truth of God's word. And he said in verse 10, he said, I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. You will turn from this salvation by works view. And he said, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. He said, I'm also confident in the Lord that whoever it is that is confusing you, well, we know who it was that was confusing, agitating, disturbing them. It was the false teachers or the leader of the false teachers these false teachers. Paul said, I'm, I'm confident, Lord, that they will pay the penalty. What does that mean? He means, I'm confident that God will hold the false teachers accountable. He said, I'm confident that God will. I'm confident God will judge and discipline these false teachers who are leading you guys astray. He was confident in this because he understood and knew the same things we understand and know. God blesses unity, not disunity. God blesses obedience, not disobedience. God blesses truth, not falsehood. God blesses humility and not pride. And so he was confident that God was going to continue this work and draw these believers back to him. And he continued in verse 11, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So he says, now, brothers and sisters, again, he loves them. There is family. There is brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So he's addressing him. He's continuing this encouragement. He says, now, brothers and sisters, remember, these false teachers falsely accused Paul in an attempt to discredit Paul so that these believers would stop following Paul and instead they would follow them. We talked about this in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 17. If you look in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul wrote these words, they, meaning the false teachers, court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. Paul's saying, guys, this is what they've been doing the whole time. In chapter 1, you remember, these false teachers accused Paul of being a people pleaser. They said, Paul, you preach and teach salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not by works, because that's easy. And, and you're preaching grace, and you're not 
given any credit to what we got to do in order to get to God. They accused him of being a people pleaser. Now, in chapter 5, Paul is responding because these believers are accusing Paul, these false teachers are accusing Paul of, in a way, kind of being two-faced and being inconsistent. They accuse Paul of preaching circumcision when he was with the Jews, but preaching grace when he was with the Gentiles. And so they are trying to discredit Paul. And Paul here said, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Paul said, if I was truly preaching circumcision like you're accusing me of, if I was preaching that you get to God by works for God, the false teachers would agree with me. They would love me. They wouldn't be persecuting me. He continued and he said, in that case, meaning if I was still preaching circumcision and works as the way to God, Paul said, the offense of the cross has been abolished. He said, listen, the offense of the cross has been abolished if I'm still preaching works as the way to God. The offense of the cross also means the stumbling block of the cross. Here's what Paul meant. Get this now. You need to understand this because this is going on right here today in our lives, in our time. The cross of Christ is offensive because it eliminates any possibility for us to have any part of saving ourselves by our works for God. The cross is offensive today to people because it eliminates any possibility of us thinking we are responsible for our salvation because we have to do all these good works and we can get to God. The cross is offensive because it points out to you and to me, we have nothing to, get, to give to God. We have nothing to bring to God. We are helpless and hopeless without God in this world. We are dead in our sins and transgressions. We completely need and have to rely on the grace of God at work in our lives to save us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. The cross, here it is, is offensive because the cross of Christ reminds us there's only one way to get to God, and that is by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You say today, that there's only one way to get to God and duck, duck. It offends people. Who are you to say that there's only one way to get to God? Who are you to say your way is the right way? It's not my way. I always share with people, as gently as kind as I can. It's not my way. It's God's way. Why is it so offensive to people? Because deep down, we are prideful. And we want to think that we're good enough and that we got enough that we can fit God into our framework, our worldview, that we can get to God by works for God, that God needs us to do some things for him in order to accept us. The cross is offensive. See, the cross reminds us that Jesus Christ took our place, paid our price for sin. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus opened the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, not by works. So Paul's saying, listen, if I still preach circumcision, then the offense of the cross has been abolished. 
because he's no longer preaching, there's only one way to God, that's by faith in Christ Jesus. Then that means we can save ourselves, which fuels sinful pride. Paul said, if I still preach circumcision, then the false teachers would love me and agree with me. If I still preach circumcision, I wouldn't be persecuted. I'd be praised. But then Paul said, the fact that I'm still being persecuted. He told these guys, listen, the fact that I'm still being persecuted is the evidence that I am preaching and teaching God's grace and faith in Jesus and not works, circumcision, and the law. He said, your argument and your false accusation is so easily proved false because I'm being persecuted. If I was doing what you're accusing me of doing, I wouldn't be persecuted. But I am being persecuted, oh, by the way, by you. You're the ones who are persecuting me. And then he continued, and what a, what a finish. Oh, my goodness. What a finish in verse 12. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. Now, we're not going to dive into this one too too long. Uh, I'm pretty confident. I think you guys know what's going on here. But let me just share what's happening. Paul got finally so frustrated with these believers that it came out in his sarcasm, especially in this remark. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, if these false teachers are so insistent that circumcision is a necessary requirement in order to have a relationship with God. If they're so insistent that circumcision is necessary for salvation, then why don't they go ahead and just mutilate themselves? He said, if works are the way to God, then prove it by your devotion to God. Don't stop. Just go ahead and mutilate yourselves. So we see his frustration with these believers had come out in this accurate, albeit sarcastic, remark and challenge to these false teachers. So what is our application today? What's our application for you and for me? It's real simple. It's one point. We're going to look at it three different ways real quickly. It's run well. The application point is run well. Run well today, run well this afternoon, run well this evening. Run well tomorrow, run well this week, run well every day, run well all, all day. Run well the race of the Christian life. That's the application point. Run well. Running well means running with humility. These believers got sidetracked because of their pride. The false teachers appealed to their pride. You got to work your way to get to God. You got something to offer to God. And so they got all welled up with pride because they thought if they did certain works, that would be enough that God would love them and accept them. And actually God needed them to do some works for him in order to complete their salvation. The cross of Christ reminds us that salvation is on God's terms, not our terms. Salvation is from God, not us. Salvation is all about God, not us. We are saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. God places his Holy Spirit in us to empower us to live for Jesus. Our part is to humble ourselves before God and offer ourselves surrender to God day by day so that he can empower us to live his life through us. We know that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. We know running well, the race of the Christian life means running with humility. That we're to do nothing 
nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But instead, we're to consider others more important than ourselves. We're to look to the interests of others, not only to our own interests. We know that this humility, we're to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Running well for you and for me, it starts with humility. Secondly, running well means running with discipline. These believers stopped running with discipline. They got distracted by the false teachers. They got out of shape spiritually. Discipline is necessary. We need to discipline ourselves to spend time in God's word, in prayer, in service, in worship, in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Why these life teams are so important. In giving and receiving encouragement from one another. This discipline happens all throughout the week not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Sunday afternoons, not just on Wednesday nights as we gather together, but throughout the week. This discipline helps us to stay in shape spiritually. This discipline of getting with the Lord helps us to be able to run well the race of the Christian life. And this discipline, it's simply the discipline to be with God before we try to do for God day by day. And it's not a discipline of boxes that we check so that when we get up and we make these steps and we, we fulfill these points of discipline that we're able to say, okay, God loves me more now because I checked that box today. I prayed for five minutes today. He loves me, okay. Man, if I would pray for 15 minutes, he'd give me an A plus. No, 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 that's legalistic thinking. No, 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 we, we discipline ourselves because we love God. We want to get up and spend time with him. We don't want to be chained and enslaved to legalistic thinking. We want to be free in Jesus to run well. For those of you who run, you know. Perseverance. Paul demonstrated this. Paul persevered through the false teachers, all their accusations. He persevered through his physical condition we looked at in chapter 4. He had that physical condition that was a burden for them and for him. We're not sure what it was, but it was a real difficult physical condition. It it incapacitated him at points. He persecuted through the false teachers, their, their 
the pain of their opposition. Even the unbelieving Jews who, who persecuted him physically, he persevered. Listen, Jesus is the greatest example of perseverance. Jesus persevered through the ridicule, through the mocking, through the crown of thorns, through the whip that tore into his back, through the spear in his side. He's persevered through the nails in his hands and feet on the cross of Calvary. He persevered through the pain of the cross for you and for me. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And he calls out to you and to me as his followers, persevere. Persevere. Running well today means we got to persevere. We got to persevere because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world that is living in opposition to God. They're living in the darkness, they don't know God. And so they have nothing but this rebellion and opposition to God. That means we got to persevere because we're the light of this world. we got to persevere in our faith in God. we got to run well. And that happens as we persevere because spiritual warfare is reality. We have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. He's prowling around us like a roaring lion looking for any opportunity to devour us. He wants a foothold because he's ready to make it a stronghold. He hates you. He hates me because he hates our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got to persevere because spiritual warfare is a reality. Listen, we're either in a battle, we're coming from a battle, or we're getting ready to go into a battle. It's one of those three. And that happens all the time. All the time. We've got to persevere. We've got to persevere because our circumstances can be very discouraging. We've got to persevere because other people can be discouraging. We've got to persevere because our own thoughts can be discouraging. We've got to persevere because life's not fair. God never said it to be fair. And we at times set up this Christian life to be this panacea from all troubles and trials and tribulations and everything works out great. That's not going to happen on this side of glory. And God never promised it would. He never promised life would be fair. He never promised it would work out in just the way we want it to. He never promised that there wouldn't be trials. He did promise, though, that he'd be in them with us. And he'd bring us through them. And we're to persevere because we have this battle that rages within us between those fleshly sinful desires. As Peter said, abstain from the sinful desires that wage war in your soul. Persevere. We persevere in Jesus as we depend on Jesus. We run well as we depend on Jesus. So here's the simple question for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Here online, here's the question. Here's the question. Are you running well? Are you running well? If your answer is yes, praise God, keep running, keep persevering in His strength for His glory. If your answer is no, let me encourage you Spend this time with the Lord. Renew your commitment to Him. Confess that sin. Confess that obstacle that's cut you off from running well spiritually. Yield it to the Lord so that He can empower you to start running well again. And if you are not in the race yet, let me encourage you. Receive God's gift of salvation. 
by God's grace through your faith in Him so you can enter the race, so you can begin running well. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our pastors are going to be here at the front, and they're going to be here to encourage you, to pray with you, to pray for you. Altars open as it always is to do business with the Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus today. This is our time to respond to the Lord as He is speaking to us. Let's stand and let's worship Him today.